So tonight, in light of Pastor Mary not being with us, Pastors Joella, Matt, and I thought we would do something a little bit different, that the three of us would have a kind of conversation panel discussion about this passage and apply it to our lives. So we'll, we'll see how this goes, all right? <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> So how does this passage impact you guys, pastors? First, maybe if you want to turn to the passage, it's on 799, page 799. We're looking at Matthew 18, 15 to 20. 15 to 20. So I think in this passage, it's really easy to, to read it and uh, to think, well, this gives me the right to be like a judge and jury for someone who wronged me. I get to like go and tell them off <laughs> or something. Um, and I've, I, I started reading about this passage a little bit um, and Professor Scott Jose over at Calvin Seminary had some really wise words to, to speak into this. Um, so sometimes we, we read this text as a, as a kind of like a Mirandizing someone. Like did you read them their rights? Did you, did you, Matt, Matt, someone wronged you. Did you Matthew 18 them? Did you, <laughs> did you go to them first? And like, did, I'm, I'm checking with you. Did you, did you read them their rights before you like came to me and now you're gonna, we're gonna go confront them? And uh, Professor Jose says it's, it's less about Mirandizing them and, and, and less about being judge and jury to them and more about pursuit of the person who has um, sinned against you. So this is, this is a, an opportunity for you to go and say, you've sinned against me, and I'm trying to, to bring you back into the fold of the community. So less about trying to push them away and saying, you did something wrong to me, you deserve to, to go sit in timeout for a while. I think in timeout because my daughter is two and a half. <laughs> uh, this is less about pushing someone away, and, but instead bringing someone close. So the act of bringing someone else in is to say, you know, I, this is worthwhile enough for me to, to try to bring you closer. I, I want to bring you in further and further. And if they still don't listen, bring the entire community with you and say, this is, it's this important. We want you to be part of our community. You've, you've sinned against someone in the community. We want to bring you back into the community. And it's, it's kind of, uh, it's confirmed in this, uh, in, the, in the reading, it talks about how um, if, they, if they say no, then, then bring more people. Um, losing my page here. Um, oh, and it says, if you, if they uh, don't listen to you, if they don't even listen to the church, treat them as a tax collector or a Gentile. And if that came from anyone else in the community, that would have been like, oh, treat them like they're in timeout, like they don't belong to part of this community. But this is Jesus who is saying this. It's Jesus, and if you think about how Jesus treated tax collectors and Gentiles, those were the people he hung out with. Jesus brought them close. Jesus, these were his friends. Treat them like they're important, 
Like they, they may have been on the outside for a while, but now they're, they're really important. They, they belong here. They need this community. So Jesus says, treat them like you would pursue a tax collector or a Gentile, the way that I'm teaching you to pursue a tax collector or a Gentile. I think that move of, that move of grace is, is prevalent in here, that um, the desire is to bring that person back, not to push them away. Mm-hmm. It's the desire that that person would feel and know and love the grace of God. Mm-hmm. And uh, Matt, you, you mentioned that the importance of, of community here, that it's not just, it's, it, it is in a sense that there's a one-on-one, but then there's, no, bring in others who, are, who, are, who know this person and can speak into their life, and then bring even more people who can speak into their life. And we were talking earlier, and I remember, Matt, you raising this question, like, does this even work today? Like, because just how many people know your stuff enough to be able to speak into your life? You might have one person who maybe knows your stuff, but do you have two people? Do you have three people? Do you have more than that? I know as, as someone who is, I'm now 40, um, as someone who had, you know, I know my wife really well. I know my kids really well. I have, I have one really good friend in Grand Rapids that knows me really good, really well, but I have a lot of acquaintances, and I wonder sometimes about even my own life, who can really speak into my life in a way um, to, who knows my stuff enough in order to call me out. I think there's, that's, the, that's what's, I think, amazing about this passage, is that really you want to be the person who's being called out. Like, you want not only the one person to come to you, but you want, like, two people to come to you, and you want a whole church to come to you because they know you, and they, they love you, and they want to encourage you and to bring you back into the faith. And um, I just speak from my own personally. I'm like, oh, crap. Like, I need more people in my life, and, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right? And, uh, but I don't know. Do you, I, and I think I wonder, too, and, and I can't really, this is kind of maybe a rhetorical question, but I wonder if about, like, in our campus, like, when I was in college, I knew, like, 10 people who knew me really well. Mm-hmm. Like I had a real rich, deep community. I don't know if you guys have experienced that in your conversations mm-hmm. with other students, that maybe this can happen a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it happened a lot for me in the, when I was in a dorm setting, when I lived in a dorm. There were lots of people who knew me and lived with me, lived around me, and knew my stuff, and I knew their stuff. And you might know a lot of your floor mates' stuff. Um, <laughs> That, that's a really rich community, a beautiful, vibrant community. Um, yeah, that's, that's ended up being where I had a lot of good relationships form. And I still have, there's, I know one guy uh, in Montana right now. Um, he's very far away, but he's one of my best friends, and he still calls me on my stuff, um, <laughs> even from that far away. <laughs> but he, he was my friend in college, so. Yeah, I think the importance of allowing people into your Space so that people can know you well enough to be able to call you out. Um, and I think what strikes me about this passage is the emphasis on, it comes down to love, right? It comes down to you love a person enough to seek to confront them wisely because how many of you are like confrontational? You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you are non-confrontational? I think that's more people, right? Exactly. We don't like going to people to air our troubles, air our problems with them. But this passage is pointing us to the importance of what well, we actually need to do this in community for the sake of love for a friend, love for someone who's a part of your, of your people. So, so, like, so how does this actually work? Mm. Do, I mean, it, it's hard to confront somebody, even someone we love. 
-hmm. on their yeah. stuff. Yeah. How have you guys seen this work? I'm tempted to like really not do it because I, <laughs> I, I find myself asking the what if questions and talking myself out of it. What if, what if they don't listen? What, what if I've got it wrong? And, and I talk myself out of it and I don't, I don't do anything. Hmm. I learned in seminary, one of our professors said, this uh, deviates a little bit from the passage, but the prof said, conflict is neutral and how we respond to it is what determines if it's positive or negative, right? Hmm. I, I didn't believe him for a while. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Conflict is not neutral. Um, but this, it's a really compelling idea to think of. How many of you have had to um, talk to someone that you care about, about something that has bothered you? And did it go well? Did it not go well? <laughs> okay. Uh, I think for my, oh, sorry, microphone's right there. Uh, from my own experience, I found the importance of when you are speaking to another person um, about something that's gone down, uh, to use I first language. So instead of Paul, sorry, you've done nothing, but I'm just using you as an example. <laughs> if, if Paul has wronged me somehow, I'd be like, instead of Paul, you did this, and all of this happened, and now look what has happened, and now our friendship is ruined. Instead of that, I could say Paul, when this happened, this is how I experienced it, and this is how it made me feel, and I wanted to let you know. So see the difference is it doesn't make a person put up their defenses because you're not attacking them, but you're naming your experience of something. And you had an interesting point about third story, right? Yeah, yeah, so there's this great book called Difficult Conversations by the Harvard Negotiation Project. So they studied <laughs> dozens of difficult conversations uh, to see like, what go, when it goes well, what are the components of that, and when it goes awry, what are the components of that? And uh, there's few, like few distinctions that they make that are really helpful. One is to shift from fact to experience, I mean to perspective. So rather than saying, no, this is how it happened, saying, this is my perspective on what happened, and then inviting the other person to share their perspective on what happened. Because what you're essentially talking about, well, there's, there's three stories. There's, there's my story, there's your story, and then there's the third story, which is really kind of what actually happened, <laughs> right? And so you're trying, you want to invite the other person to be a partner in trying to figure out why is there this conflict? Why is there this difficult situation that we're in now? And, and you're doing it together as a team. Um, and so one is to shift from fact to perspective. The second is to shift from, shift from um, accusation to feelings. So rather than what, that's what Pastor Joel is saying, rather than you did this, it's more of a, I feel hurt. I felt hurt when or I was angry when, and so you're talking, you're talking about it, you're about yourself and not about the other person that helps to bring down the defensiveness. And then, no problem is ever one-sided. It's just, it's never one-sided, right? There's always two people involved, and so to shift from blame, it's all your fault, to contributions. So to be able to say, okay, here's this difficult situation, and I'm, I'm pretty sure that I may have done this and this and this to really tick you off. Um, but I also, I, I think that maybe you might have contributed 
to this and this and this. Do you think that's the case? You know, and then invite the other person to say, you know, I really didn't think I contributed that way, but maybe how I contributed was this way. And so it's always thinking about shifting from blame to contributions. So those three distinctions there, from blame to contributions, from accusations to feelings, and from fact to perspective are, are really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that really invites the grace back into it rather than being judge and jury for your friend. Um, it, it invites the grace back into the conversation and really points to mutuality rather than, um, yeah, rather than pointing the finger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's also, there's, um, <clears throat> there's a guy named Jerry Bridges who wrote this book, The Pursuit of Holiness, and it's a book on the fruit of the Spirit. And he says, make sure that your desire to confront or correct is not out of a spirit of impatience, but out of a spirit of love and concern for the welfare of the other person. And sometimes I think when we're frustrated with another person or we see that we're doing something that's harmful to them, we get really impatient they're not, that they're not fixing it, they're, they're not getting better, that they're not addressing it or something like that. And, and when we end up coming off as being really impatient and frustrated instead of coming at it from a standpoint of, like, I want what's best for you, I love you, I want you to be whole and healthy and holy. Mm-hmm. So that really brings to the forefront where you need to be as a person confronting another person, right? Of uh, our own motivations and why we go to another person. If we, um, if we are impatient or uh, if there, I, th- I think my point is to do the self-work, to evaluate ourselves. Are there any other motivations here other than seeking for this person to experience the grace and love of God mm-hmm. by changing their way and their behavior? I kind of want to ask if there are any questions. <laughs> question? <laughs> if you have a question, just stand up and say it. <laughs> bold. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Andrew. So all this uh, sounds really great if you have the other person's like, partnership in this whole thing. Mm. So how would you guys go about it when you don't have their partnership? Like you start to bring it up and then they just raise their hook and are not really interested in the behavior. Yeah, we talked about this, of the importance of mutuality, that a person needs to be in a place where they can hear your words. So I don't, I don't know. There's, I don't a, know. There's, a, there's a trusting relationship yeah. there, right? Yeah. So I think if, if I were to say, let's say, uh, yeah, so if I was to call out somebody on their stuff that I didn't know, Let's just say, let's say I saw from a distance, maybe there was a, a let's, ah, I can't think, I don't want to, I don't want to throw out any names because I don't want, you know, but anyway, let's just so say someone there's you don't know. Someone, someone you, you don't, don't know, know. Yeah, someone you don't know, but you know their story to some extent, right? Maybe you've heard it or you've seen it or something like that. You, you, you know their story. And if you were to go up there to them and confront them, what basis do they have to trust you? What basis do they have to listen to you at all? And I think this is where there's that proverb that says, don't throw your pearls to swine. Right? So it's not saying that people are swine. You know, like people are pigs who, who, are, you know, who are sinful. But what he's saying is you're, you're throwing it away. Like, it's, it's not any, like pearls are not any good for pigs. Like they don't know what to do with them. Like, it's not, you know, they just, it's like, okay, it's a pearl, right? They don't know what to do with it, right? You know, but if you give a pearl to someone who treasures it, they'll do something with it. And I think that's where there's a, I I don't think this passage is saying 
is, is not teaching us about how to confront someone about their sins that we don't know. This is all about doing it within the context of knowing. And so I wonder, how do you do that? So I'm thinking, like, so like on a national level, if there's a public official or something that needs to be called out, well, I mean, usually you do that through, like, courts and systems of justice and, and those kinds of things, or you vote with, like, 50 million people or, you know, however, you know, you, you, you have, like, a sort of the justice system involved in some way. But I don't know how you would call someone out apart from a relationship. I don't know. And I think if it is a person you have a relationship with, but for whatever reason, they're not in a place to hear you, maybe that's the point is how do you maintain presence and community with them to reach a point where you've like earned it, right? Earned for them to be able to hear you and trust that you want their good. Um, and that might mean persistence or time or, yeah. 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 yeah, this is all about within the community of believers, the, the, the people that, that you hang out with and the people that know you and the people that, that worship with you this is this is about meeting them in this in this place and yeah. uh, I think that's that's where the mutuality is is formed and, and found and that's where you can speak on a, on a level of you've sinned against me and uh, and this is how this grace is going to chase you down yeah. um, the community is not going to let you escape this grace because this community, you, you mean something to this community, right? And so there's, there's a implied mutuality already built into the text, if that is helpful. Yeah, yeah. I recall a time when I was, when I was in college and one of our uh, worship band members in our church, um, a bunch of us knew him and stuff, and he was a great guy, but he had, he had a drinking problem. And um, I remember going to our college pastor and saying, hey, his name was Pastor Matt, too. Um, <laughs> I was like, uh, Pastor Matt, like, you got you to gotta, you gotta tell Kurt um, that he needs to, like, stop drinking. And he goes, no, you need to tell Kurt that he needs to stop drinking. Because he did not have the same kind of relationship. He wasn't, like, he wasn't uh, a friend. He wasn't, he wasn't at the parties, right? He wasn't there. And so there's this sense of, you know, you can't go first to, like, let's bring in the big shot to come in and lay, lay down the law. You need to do this mutuality piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Erica. So the question is, how do you hold the passage from the Sermon on the Mount about not judging another when you have a log in your own eye not to judge their speck? So how do you hold that intention with confronting another person on their sin? I think it's about a posture of humility and acknowledging that you're not perfect when you're going to another person. Because I think... My, my experience and thought is that that has seemed to hold us back a lot from being able to have honest conversations is we say, I'm not judging you, I don't wanna judge you. It's like the worst thing to be called a judger, right? Um, and I get that because you know, who enjoys being judged, but at the same time, as disciples, we are called to, this is about watching out for each other more than about condemning each other. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's about mutuality, again. It's, 
you're in community with someone and you, you use the language that, that um, Paul has set up for us, the, the, this has made me feel this way or this is my perspective on the, on the issue, and you, you find common ground for that third story. And in that third story, maybe some of those logs in your own eye come, come to bear and you're like, yeah, I've got some stuff that I need to work on too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's part of the point of this text is that we all have stuff that we're dealing with we come at this community as complicated beings. No one comes into this place perfect. Mm-hmm. Everyone here is dealing with some anxiety or frustration or ailment. Everyone here has something to bring to the community um, that, that needs to be dealt with. And we can do that together. Sometimes we're really reluctant to do that. And as an individualistic culture, we want to wall that off. We say, nope, nope, you're not getting at that because that's my stuff. Mm-hmm. And sure, I'm working on it. But it's easier to do in community. It's better to do uh, when you have some more perspectives on it, another angle at it. And, but that, that requires mutuality. That requires vulnerability in community. Yeah. And, and, and Erica, there's sometimes too when you might, be, you might call someone out on their stuff and in defensiveness they say, well, yeah, but you... Right. And and that's just the, that's a classic fallacy. It's called like a straw man, sort of like I'm going to attack this thing now instead of, you know, answering actually the, the, the problem that's there. Um, and uh, so one of the things is to call them out on that and say, you may be right, but we're talking about this. Right. You know, like, go ahead and go ahead and own it. Yeah, I, I probably have some stuff, too. I'm, I know I have some stuff, but I'm really concerned for you about this thing right now. And, and that's, that's another thing for, so if you have a difficult conversation with someone, oftentimes you have like a, you think about like how you're going to lead into the conversation, and you're like, your first sentence is beautiful, and then they respond to you, <laughs> and then you're like, right? So think about what your second and third sentence is going to be, like how might they respond to you, and how are you going to respond in turn, you know? So you level like a, you know, I feel, you know, I feel like you did such and such, and then they, they come at you with accusation. Mm-hmm. And then so you think, oh, there's a feeling in that accusation, right? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, so maybe I can name that feeling and bring it back to feelings and away from accusations. Or, they, yeah, but you did this. And it's like, well, I see how I contributed how, to this problem. But can we talk about maybe what your contributions have been to this? So mm-hmm. always being able to shift that language around, knowing the second, third response. Mm-hmm. Um, this text seems to be about like a, a specific uh, grace chasing after a person. And, and the, the community is the grace of, of Jesus. And this is, this is a lot like how Jesus chases after each one of us. Jesus chases after us even though we don't deserve it. Jesus confronts us on our stuff, and we have to, we have to own it. But, but that grace keeps chasing us. Jesus keeps chasing us and, and bringing us back to the community, saying, you belong here, you're important here, you're needed, you're valuable here. This, this grace wraps us up. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm trying to think of a way to, to put this. In your confrontation with other people, uh, don't let it be about impatience. Don't let it be about you being right or you being um, the, the judge. Have it be about the grace that wraps people up the peace that brings people back into community, 
Is this something that I need to say in order for them to be corrected? Is this something that I need to say in order for them to know the peace of God, for them to be welcomed back into this community? Because I think that's, that's where this text gets at mm-hmm. and how we interact and how we confront people on their stuff. Mm-hmm. Is if it's not about me and it's more about chasing after them. Because I see a lot of myself in the person that has sinned against a brother or sister. Mm-hmm. I see a lot of myself in Jesus chases after me because I've sinned against Jesus. I've sinned against God. And God is chasing after me and trying to wrap me up in the grace and peace that belongs in this community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was thinking earlier, I told these guys, I was thinking earlier about the song Forever Rain, you know, with the chorus, and oh, I'm running to your arms, I'm running to your arms. I want to like write a note to Reuben Morgan and say that's completely backwards. Actually, it should be, and oh, you run with open arms, you run with open arms, the riches of your love will always be enough. It's about God running to us with open arms of grace, mm. not us running to him. Mm. Mm. Prodigal son yep. listening to us there. Yep. 